Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to Believe in Raiders podcast presented by Ben Online. I'm Dennis Ackerman, pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford route Stan. The Raiders kicked off preseason in Canton, Ohio, playing the Jacksonville Jaguars in the annual Hall of Fame game. You know, Stan, when I turned the game on, I was a little bit surprised to see Josh McDaniels using a lot of his starters, oh, yeah. including running back Josh Jacobs. Now, when I saw him, my first initial thought was, wow, Jacobs starting. And I thought, well, am I reading into this too much? And then you and I were texting before the podcast, and I'm like, Stan, am I reading in too much of that? And you're thinking, you're telling me I'm thinking the same thing. Why is he starting? So, Stan, what do you make of seeing Jacobs starting a preseason game against the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, you know, because he plays the running back position, and we already know that you never really get stronger. It's like you, you don't get more tread on your tires as a running back. Like every carry that you take, every hit that you receive, that's just one more step closer to whatever total tally number that it's going to take for you to actually fall off the cliff as a proverbial running back. So to actually have him in the game, that that signifies to me that they just don't view him in the future plans. And obviously with them not picking up his fifth year option and this being his proverbial contract year, uh, that that tells me that more than likely, unless we see a 1500 rushing yard season, or we see a double digit touchdown total or something like that, that tells me that they'll probably go ahead and move on from them uh, after this year, simply because I, I, you could go ahead and make the argument of, oh, well, Stan, you know, they want him to prove himself. I get that and I understand that, but we all know for running backs, every hit that they take, that just gets them closer and closer to that magic number, whatever it is, that's going to force them over the cliff. And do you really want to waste that in the Hall of Fame game when you see other teams like the Rams, like they don't even suit up their starters? So that's what uh, that's what tells me that Aside from it being a historically great year for Josh Jacobs, aside from a 1,500 rushing yard season, double-digit touchdown total, something like that, that that signifies that they'll probably go ahead and move on after this year. Yes, Dan, I mean, I think when you look at the running back position for the Raiders, I mean, Kenyon Drake is back after suffering an ankle injury last year. I thought he was playing well before he got hurt. They also drafted Zamir White out of Georgia, I believe, in the fourth round, and I was looking at the numbers for Josh Jacobs, I mean, last year, Stan, I know the offensive line wasn't up to par, but a career low, 872 yards. The last two seasons, he's averaged right around four yards a carry. And Stan, I mean, in today's NFL, running backs don't get a second contract with their original team. Yeah. They, they, they just don't. So, I mean, I, I think you're going to see the running back by committee, and that's something that Josh McDaniels, I think, is bringing over from his days with the from New England, England Patriots. Yeah. You know, and, exactly. and who knows, maybe – Jacobs might get 20 carries a game, and then he might get five the next. And Zamir White might get 20 a game, and then we might not see him carry the ball for a few times. So I think it's just going to be one of those game-by-game, case-by-case, as we'll see uh, with, with this running back group for the Raiders moving forward. Stan, let me ask you this. Do you think there is any chance, any way, that the Raiders would be possibly showcasing and shipping out uh, Josh Jacobs with what they have, like I said, with Drake and White? Yeah, I mean, that very well could be. But, you know, that right there, to me, I would go ahead and pause because usually, typically, whenever somebody is 
is, you know, whisper, whisper on the trading block without it actually, you know, hitting the news or the news cycle or anything like that. That's when you typically see that that player hasn't really been practicing a lot lately, that they're trying to keep him out of harm's way because they're secretly trying to shop him. Or should I say they're quietly trying to shop him. So that's what makes me pause before I would just automatically agree to that statement. But they very well could be trying to show what he still has in the tank. And if there's a team that feels like, okay, you know what? We're a bruising running back. We're a power running back away from really being the offense that we want to be. So, you know what? Let's go ahead and pull the trigger and try to go ahead and create some deal for Josh Jacobs. That way we can go ahead and get over the hump. Dan, the Raiders currently have 90 players on their rosters. We all know they got to get down to 53 for week Mm -hmm. one. You played eight years in the NFL stance. So for some of these guys, I mean, you're looking at like 47 guys who aren't going to be on this roster in about three or four weeks. So, Dan, if you're one of those guys who's a late pick in the draft, uh, a fringe player, maybe somebody who wasn't drafted, an undrafted rookie trying to make this team, is there a fine line between trying to impress the coaches and not doing too much so you're hurting your own cause to make this team. When you say not doing too much to hurt your own cause, like you're trying to do too much and more than you're trying to do too much more than what you're capable of. And it ends up. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, Yeah, it definitely is a fine line between you trying to impress the coaches and trying to go out there to be he man or, you know, like a superhero where now you're actually going on and you're trying to you're trying to make plays for other people or you're trying to do somebody else's job where now it makes you look like you had the mental bus and things like that. So you definitely have situations like that where certain guys, they just get overzealous where they feel like they have to. They, they feel like they have to set the world on fire just to make the team. And it's really, really, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very intricate and a very unfortunate position because oftentimes, and I'll say this, for most teams, obviously you have 80 to 90 guys entering training camp. But for most teams, I can tell you just like this, as far as the coaching staff goes, that coaching staff already knows of the 53 guys who are going to make the team eventually uh, once you get down to the final cuts, they already know, they already have a good idea who maybe 42, 43 of those guys are going to be. And there's really 10 guys who are going to be making the team where it was a question mark of, okay, you know what? We don't know about this guy, things like that. But pretty much of the 53 that will make the final roster, they already feel pretty confident, pretty sure of who about 40 to 43 of them are going to be. And so the thing is, is that as a player, as somebody who's been a starter for a lot of years in Oakland and even in Kansas City, there were guys that came in that we knew this guy could go out there and cure cancer and he's not going to make the team just because of the numbers, because that each coach at each position, he already has his guys. The GM already has his guys that he wants on the team. So there's a lot of times where you're seeing guys go out there and play well in the preseason, play very well, but even then, just because of the numbers and the logistics, they're not going to make the team. But the one beauty of it is, and this is what they always tell you, this film, the Hall of Fame game, every other piece of film throughout the entire preseason, that goes to all 31 other teams. So even though you don't make it on this team right here, you're still at an avid job interview for other teams. And that's why once you get to the final cuts, once you get to the final week of the preseason, you'll see, in guy, you'll see guys that get picked up from the practice squad 
put on to the uh, the active roster on other teams. You'll see certain guys that'll get cut that final Saturday, right before you got to get down to the 53-man uh, roster or the 53-man mandate. And then all of a sudden, they'll be cut Saturday afternoon, and then bam, Saturday night, Sunday morning, they're already picked up off waivers, and that's because they put enough good tape out there on film where the uh, the GM of the other team is already like, hey, man, that kid right there, number 37, is, if he doesn't make the team on the Seahawks, I'm definitely signing him to my roster. So no matter what, you still are always being evaluated. So even if you feel you're in a position where you can't win or you can't make this roster, you're still – on a job interview for 31 other teams. That's the hardest part. And that's the that's the one mindset you have to have, especially if you're a lower round draft pick or you're not somebody who's a starter. Stan, in your eight years in the NFL, did you ever have a conversation with somebody on maybe a defense that they thought to themselves, you know what, I'm going to make the Raiders? Or did they say to you, you know what, I'm auditioning right now for another team because I'm looking at the big picture and I don't think I'm going to make it here, but I got to impress, like you said, put something on film to show other teams that I can play in this league. Yeah, plenty of times. I've had oh, that really? conversation with certain guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I can tell you like this. So whenever it's somebody who's a lower-round draft pick, fifth, sixth, seventh rounder, undrafted free agent, something like that, or somebody they just sign off the street, they are already aware of the stuck-between-rock-and-a-hard-place situation they're in. They're already aware of it because their agent has told them that, or they may have seen other guys who have been in that same intricate situation. So they understand it. Now, for the rookies that were drafted in maybe the third or fourth round, maybe the fifth round, they, 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 they still might be a little wet behind the ears as far as understanding the business side of things. But the guys who were undrafted, that's what their agent has already told them, hey, you know, you can still make the team. Anything is possible. But I can tell you like this, you're going to have to make it on special teams or you're going to have to probably go the practice squad route, something like that. So they already understand that it's a steep hill to climb. So, yeah, they know that, OK, I may not make it here, but I can use this this situation. I can use me being on this team as an audition tape for the other teams, because if I'm not on any team, then I definitely don't have a way of auditioning myself for these other teams. So you want to be able to use that team the same way they're using you because teams, that's why teams have 90 people going in training camp because I can, I can name of several situations where I know of a certain player or who was signed to the roster during training camp. And it was really just to be a camp body because you may have a star defensive tackle or star quarterback, who you already know is not going to play much in the preseason, but we still need somebody to go up there, go out there and eat up those reps, either during practice or games and, you know, the fourth quarter of the final preseason game. So they just need camp bodies. And so even though you know that you may be a camp body, you want to make sure that you take advantage of that because somebody else could be watching this tape and they may sign you because they need you. So it's unfortunate. Obviously, it's very, it's, it, I mean, it's very disheartening, you know, but that's how the NFL is. It's a business and you got to find a way to circumvent it. And I think that this team is going to eventually one day, or should I say this league is going to move on from you. So you want to make sure to use this team, use this league the same way they're going to use you. Use them as a platform to help you get to where you're going to go, because I promise you this, 
they're using you as a platform to get where they want to go as far as notoriety, you know, the NFL being the number one sport in America because it's the hottest thing smoking right now. So you always want to make sure this is a business and make sure that you use this team or use that team, use this league the same way that they're using you. Dan, and you mentioned it's a business. In your eight years, was there ever a veteran or maybe even a rookie that was traded or was cut that really impacted you personally? Like, man, that was just a tough one. Because as a fan, we just say, okay, we see the uniform. That player's gone now. He's been traded. He's been cut. We're we're moving on. We don't get to see the personal side of this player who's just been traded, who's just been cut. We don't know what's going on in his personal life. We don't know what's going on with him. Where you're up close, you're personal, you know him just beyond the uniform. Did that ever mm-hmm. happen with you? Oh, I'd probably say there's a couple that uh that come to mind. Two of them actually came out of my draft class. Uh, I remember Kirk Morrison, he came oh, out sure. of my draft class, third rounder. And I remember he was uh traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe, going into our sixth uh year in the league. Uh that was something that he was a starter for all of our years in Oakland. And so it was just always a it was always a familiar face to see, you know, we called him 52 or, you know, we called him five deuce. His locker was, you know, right in the same area as mine. So I always saw him. Uh, Fabian Washington's another one. He sure. came out in my draft class, 15 picks ahead of me, number 23 overall out of Nebraska, still a good friend of mine to this day. And, you know, obviously after our third year, that's when I became a starter. He was in my backup. So obviously the room wasn't big enough for all of us to go ahead and get our own piece of the pie, be a starter, get, you know, meaningful playing time, things like that. So obviously he was traded to the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, that's something that I understood it. I definitely respected it, but it was different not having him, you know, in the locker room with me. Whenever we would go to away games, he would be my roommate. So it was definitely a difference, you know, not seeing that familiar face anymore. But Once you get to this league, once you get in this league, especially if you have good people around you, let's say a good agent, parents, or just, you know, some some wily veteran who kind of takes you under his wing early on, that's when you understand it's a business. And you can't let your personal feelings get too engrossed in this because it's a business. And there's going to be somebody on your team who will not be here tomorrow or they won't be here next year. And you have to understand that you got to accept that because if you get to the point where now you're totally attached to certain people, well, when they get traded, you're not going to know how to function. Or guess what? If they trade you, you're not going to know how to function on your new team because you're too attached to that original team. And that's one of the biggest pitfalls that a lot of players fall in where you get to the point where, no, they won't cut me. They won't trade me. They won't bench me. Oh, trust me. Please believe me. They will. Because it's the NFL. It's not for long. So that's why you always want to make sure to use this team the same way that they're using you. They're using you to go ahead and up their ante. That way they can be a more profitable, more valuable franchise. So you want to use them to go ahead and now create generational wealth for you and your family. Make a better life for you and everybody around you. You want to go ahead and be able to put food on the table for your kids, your parents, your your brother, your sister, everybody else. So you want to make sure that you use them the same way that they're using you. That is the one component that you must learn entering this league because at the end of the day, the only day of the week that this is not a business is on Sunday. Stan, how long did it take you to realize this is a business and was there a particular moment that your eyes opened up and said, oh man, this is not college. This is not high school. This is much different. 
would probably say I learned that probably within my first couple of years. I don't know if it was either my rookie year or my second year, but I pretty much started learning that then. And I can tell you just like this, like I remember how uh, early on I was playing nickelback and I did not even understand it. But because they wanted to get me on the field because I did well at corner and OTAs going into my rookie season, they wanted to get me on the field. So now guess what? I'm playing, I'm playing uh, in the nickel. I don't know what the hell I'm doing because I didn't play it at all during OTAs, but they need to get me on the field. And so I remember I didn't do well at it. And then my second year, that's when they did not. I'm sorry. my uh, It was my second year where whoever our starting nickel was my rookie year, they didn't bring him back. They didn't retain him. And the only reason why they didn't retain him was because, OK, going into this next season, we got to get route on the field because he was a, a number two pick for us. He was a second rounder. So right. we got to get him on the field. And so that's when I understand, like, dang, I didn't even really earn this nickelback spot but because of my draft position. They got to get me on the field. And so in a myriad of ways, you're going to learn that this is a business, whether it is you being an older veteran, they bring in a younger guy through draft pick or something like that. And you know, you're still better than this guy. But because he's the younger guy, they just drafted him. They want to get him on the field. That's where you realize it's a business. You'll see certain situations where somebody won't be re-signed just because they may possibly push the starter or maybe even unseat them. That way, they're going to go ahead and just clear the room. That way, the person that they want to start simply is not going to have any stiff competition to possibly go ahead and take them off the field. So it's a myriad of ways that you realize it's a business, but definitely you're going to have your hello rookie. Welcome to the NFL moment somewhere, somehow. Very interesting. All right. Time to make our sponsor happy. So let me get this read in Stan and bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and yes, even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code Believe 50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts. Well, Saturday cliff branch will be inducted in the pro football hall of fame. He becomes the 29th Raider to be enshrined into Canton. And, you know, Stan, I was looking at this list and some of the guys I'm like, they just basically had a cup of coffee with the Raiders, like Rod Woodson, uh, James Lofton, you know, I really don't consider them Raiders in the hall of fame to me. I look at guys like Kenny Stabler, Charles Woodson, mm -hmm. Gene Upshaw, Tim Brown, just to name a few now. Players who spent nearly all of their career wearing the silver and black. Just probably about 20 of those, and that does include Cliff Branch. So, Stan, I'm going to read you this list of all 20 who I consider to be, you know, silver and black Raiders, and I want you to give okay. me four for the Mount Rushmore of the Raiders. Are you ready? Oh, man, that's going to be <laughs> – I, I I, I'm ready, but I can tell you that's going to be a tough one because – there's just there's so many good ones that you're going to have to leave off I because know. it's only four on the Mount Rushmore. I and I just don't feel that that's fair to them. But, yeah, I'm ready. OK, we're going to start with Jim Otto and we're going to go George Blanda and great Willie Brown, who I know you knew very well, Stan. Yes. And you got Gene Upshaw, Fred Bolitnikoff, Art Shell, Ted Hendricks, Al Davis, Mike Haynes, Howie Long, 
Dave Casper, Marcus Allen, John Madden, Ray Guy, Tim Brown, Ron Wolf, an executive, Kenny the Snake Stabler, Tom Flores, Charles Woodson, Cliff Branch. And yeah, like that, that that's impossible, <laughs> DA. But I'm but for the sake of this, for the sake of this episode, I'm gonna do it. Uh as far as uh, my Mount Rushmore, I don't think you can have the Mount Rushmore without having the man who created it all, Al Davis. I just don't think you can. I think uh, John Madden, I mean, everything that he's done for the game with what, what was John was like, what, the youngest coach to ever win a Super Bowl or like he was he, well, he's 32 I, years old. And he's got Stan. He's got the highest winning percentage minimum. of Exactly. Yeah. Coached. Exactly. You know what I mean? So like, I don't, I don't think that you can go, I don't think you can have a Mount Rushmore without having him on there, but Tom Flores, the first, uh, what Latino coach to ever win a Super Bowl. So like, it's just so many different people with so many different accolades or so many different accomplishments or achievement achievements that I, I, I don't know how not to, because, but so I'll just go ahead. I'll go with John Madden. I'll go with Al Davis, Charles Woodson, one of my favorites, Willie Brown, uh, him as well, Marcus Allen. You know, I like how we long. I love watching him on TV every every Sunday on a NFL on Fox. You know, Fred Blitnikoff. The guy has an award named after him for crying out loud. <laughs> so it's just so many people. And Jim right, Otto, you. you know give, what I mean? Give me four, and then give me a second four. I'm going to give you eight because I have four. Okay. I do have four, but I'll, I'll give me your first. Give me your top four. How about that? Let's start okay, there. Okay, uh, my top my top four would be Al Davis, right? It would be John Madden, right. Charles Woodson, and Willie Brown. Okay. Obviously, I got I got two corners on there because I played corners. So sure. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit of a homer. Absolutely. Forgive me. As far as the next four, I would go with Freddie B. You have an award named after you, man. Like that, you know that's that's enough said. Uh, Ray Guy, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, good he has one. an he has an award named after him. Like you can't get any, you can't have any more bragging rights than a, an award named after you. And then uh, my final two, oh, man, my final two, man, that's a tough one. I would go with uh, Marcus Allen, okay, one of my favorites. Um, and then the final one, oh, goodness gracious. Uh, gosh, let me see here. I want to stay away from corner. I want to stay away from corner. I so I'm going to try to go to it. I'm going to try to go to another position. And let's go ahead and go with um, uh, the second Raider Mount Rushmore. You know you what? Jim Otto, George Blanner, Gene Upshaw, Art Shell, Ted Hendricks, Mike Haynes, Howie Long, Dave Casper, Tim Brown, the Snake Stabler, and Cliff Branch. Okay. I would go with um I would go with I only have one other spot. I would go with let's go with, you know, this will be the fourth spot. We'll yep. we'll call this four A and four B. Give me okay. nine. Give me okay. Nine. All right. I, I would go that. with ten. I would go with Tim Brown, Heisman Trophy winner, sure. Hall of Fame receiver. I mean, the rest is history. We all know that. And then I, I I can't I feel like I I feel like I would be remiss I feel like I would be disrespectful if I did not go with uh, Tom Flores, you know, okay. being the first uh, Latino coach to ever win a Super Bowl, wasn't he the first Latino coach ever hired or yes. something like that as well? Yeah, yeah. So I feel Latino like player to win that, a Super Bowl also is the backup for the Kansas yeah, City you know, Chiefs when just, they beat the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like uh, me being a minority, I feel like that's just. I feel like that's irresponsible of me to leave him out of there. I just feel like that. So uh, that would be my top nine. Okay. I'm going to start with Jim Otto. I don't remember Jim Otto as a player, but I remember as a kid, 
Jim Otto was always sitting next to Al Davis in the booth watching uh-huh. the games. And then when you would see the highlights, he'd have that single bar stand just across his yep. face. And he had the double O and he was just, he seemed like he was the epitome of the Raiders from, you know, from 1960 to 1974 playing 15 years uh, yep. at that position when it was just, you know, so much different back then, but I'm, I'm going to go Jim Otto next. I'm going with you. I'm, I'm with, I'm got, you got to go Al Davis. And I know a lot of people think, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, they look at Al from like 2003 to 2000, whenever he passed away. And uh, no, that is not the Al Davis. Al Davis no, is the only not. man who was it a really, head coach. Really he was a general manager. He's an owner. And he was a commissioner mm-hmm. for some time in the old AFL. And Al thought AFL. he was going to be the commissioner of the NFL when the two merged in 1970. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, he got the short oh, of the stick and it was Pete Rozelle. But Al, Al was so far ahead of his time. I mean, just a, talking about inclusion, talking about just knowing the game. I mean, just, yes. he, you know, he, hey, we're going to strike fear in anybody and everybody from throw, throwing the home run ball as much as possible. And his thing was, you know, you got to take the quarterback. It starts with the quarterback. You got to take him out by mm-hmm. any means, you know, it was just, you know, from, geez, Stan, from, I would say from the mid 60s to probably 2002, I mean, yeah, you know, you put the Raider franchise up against, you know, it's just one of those iconic franchises for so long. So he would be second for me. Then I would go John Madden like you just, you know, talking about earlier, you got the highest winning percentage of any coach that coached a minimum of 100 games. Uh, he was won one Super Bowl. That was the 76 Raiders. I believe they took the Raiders to five straight AFC championship games. And then my fourth one is Kenny Stabler. You know, I'm, I'm probably biased. He's growing up yeah. as a kid seeing that left handed wearing number 12 and you, know, uh-huh. you just knew when it came down to the last two minutes and the Raiders were trailing or if it's tied, you knew the Raiders were going to win because Kenny somehow was going to find a way. And I remember when they traded him to the Houston Oilers uh, in 1980, and I was just absolutely devastated. I thought, how in the world could they trade Kenny Stabler? And, you know, he's probably my all-time favorite Raiders. So those are my four for the Mount Rushmore. Fun fact for you, Stan, I don't know if you know this, but Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels played his high school football at Tom Benson Stadium, which is located right next to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Wow. From, I did not Canton. know that. Yeah, he is from Canton, Ohio. So, so I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was called Fawcett Stadium back then until they renovated it. But uh, so nice homecoming wow. for Josh McDaniels. Have you been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Uh, no, never been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but obviously played in the Hall of Fame game, Tom Benson Field. Uh, things like that, but have never been. No, no, I've never been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, if you're a football fan, you got to go because you're going to feel like you died and went to heaven. I mean, when you walk into that room with all those busts and you see like the Vince Lombardi's, you know, and then the John Madden's and just all of those select few have been fortunate to be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It is just, it will take yeah. your breath away. It, it's just amazing. And then you can see, you know, the Raiders who went and got toured it on Wednesday and you could see on the game tonight, some of the Jacksonville Jaguars, so they were touring it, just their eyes, how wide open they were just seeing it. It's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's been, about an hour South of Cleveland. And if you uh-huh, haven't done it, exactly. get there, get there. And yeah, you know, it's been over 30,000 NFL players in history. And what is it? Only 320, 360. I forget group. the exact number. Yeah. It's a very select group. In my opinion, you know, uh, I think for the, basketball hall of fame i feel like if you're a good college player and you're decent in the in the nba that can get you into the basketball hall of fame and you know no shade no disrespect to them or anything like that but i feel like the pro football hall of fame is the most exclusive like you know like they're very snobby 
when it comes to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Like, they don't just let anybody in no. there. Like, if you make it to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you were a true stud. You were a true baller, and you were a game changer in any position. So that, to me, is makes it more prestigious, you know, and that's why I think that football is king because you can't just nudge or know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody <laughs> your way into the, into the no Pro Football way. Hall of Fame. You can't do that. All right, Stan, let's tackle our last topic, and it is the Deshaun Watson situation. On Monday, disciplinary officer Sue L. Robinson, she leveled a six-game suspension for the Cleveland Browns quarterback. Her ruling, she said that Watson engaged in contact that pose a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person and the conduct that undermines or puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. And if you remember, Watson has been accused of sexual assault and other inappropriate conduct during massage sessions in civil lawsuits filed by 25 women. I think after Robinson's ruling, though, Stan, I think almost everyone thought to themselves, wow, this is way too light of a penalty. And then on Wednesday, the NFL announced it will appeal Robinson's decision and Commissioner Roger Goodell has chosen former New Jersey Attorney General Peter C. Harvey. Now, under the collective bargaining agreement, Goodell has the option to consider the appeal himself or he can appoint a designee to do so, and that's what he's done. So, Stan, what do you make of all this? Oh, man, uh, I felt like I knew right away when Sue L. Robinson gave him six games, I felt like I knew right away then and there that the NFL was going to appeal this. And, you know, it's really interesting because back in March, Back in April, we were thinking, yeah, Deshaun Watson's going to be done for the year. He's going to be suspended for a year, maybe two. And we saw what happened in Major League Baseball with the pitcher who had his issues with Trevor domestic Bauer. violence. Exactly. And, and Matt, Rob Manfred, he suspended him for, what, two years. So mm-hmm. you're thinking, okay, we're starting to see a little bit of a precedent here. And then I don't know what it was. but And tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. But once we got to, like, June, once we got to July – it started becoming more of like the sense in the air that Deshaun Watson was probably only, only going to get six games or eight games or something on the lower end of the spectrum. So when I found out on Monday, just like everybody else did, that it was six games, I wasn't extremely surprised because I felt like I had already been primed to expect six games based on the rumors that you're starting to hear. And uh, obviously the NFL wanting a year and it being indefinite at that, they did not get what they wanted. So I I felt like the NFL was going to always appeal this just because if I'm Roger Goodell, like I remember the hit I took after Ray Rice with the lax penalty for obviously what happened in the elevator. And for this right here. Right, Stan? He got exactly. Initially, it was two games. Right. And right. then it was moved, I think, four. Then he was on the commissioner's exempt list when the video came out. And so Roger Goodell has to take all those bullets. He has to take that heat from the media. And I think Roger Goodell's like, uh, hell no. Six games? Man, I'm not going to be the one taking, taking this hit for, obviously, we don't care as much about women as we should. Well, obviously, we're valuing star players over female safety, female rights, things like that. So I felt like they were always going to appeal it. And then also just because just off the competitive nature of, wait a minute, we wanted a year. This woman gave him six games, right? Like, uh, we're still the NFL. I'm still the commissioner. I still have say. So obviously I wanted to kind of back away from things. And that was, it was collectively bargained that they would have an independent 
person is the overseer of the personal conduct policy and the punishments and things like that. But yeah, I think Roger Goodell stepped in there and was like, oh, hell no. Six games, and this guy, this guy's going to be right back on out on the field uh, week seven playing against Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens? Oh, hell no. So I felt like there was always going to be the NFL appealing it. And now that they've appealed it, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for Deshaun Watson to get away with only being suspended for six games. And I say that because we look back what happened with Tom Brady with the league back in 2014, deflate gate. But yes, he then went, had the restraining order, the stay of the uh, suspension where he was able to play all the 2015 season. But you see what happened. They finally got to him the first part of the 2016 season where he was suspended for four games. So Roger Goodell, when he does that, he's going to get you one way or the other. He may not get you right now, they may not get Deshaun Watson until the year 2024, but I think eventually the, they're going to catch up to him. I agree. I think they are going to get him for a year, Stan. You know, it's interesting to me. The league went outside uh, the office with Sue L. Robinson, and now they're going outside the office again. I feel like yeah. whatever they're doing, they just can't seem to get right. And like you mentioned Ray Rice, you mentioned Tom Brady. I go back to far as Sean Payton, who got suspended for Bounty Gate, and apparently yes. I mean, that's – for a year hey man, and then uh and the uh, greg williams the defensive coordinator yes and apparently there was really no evidence supporting those suspensions so you know what I, I, and mind you we got calvin ridley who suspended for what 17 games for what betting yeah. on his team yeah and he wasn't even playing at the time yeah so, so like it's just so, it's hard it's to have so faith much in ambiguity the NFL. and it's just inconsistent right it's just hard to have faith in the nfl with everything they yeah. do with case after case after case, but I do think, look at it, Stan. I, I do think Roger Goodell is going to be in the ear of this attorney general, Peter C. Harvey. And I think the NFL is going to get what it wants. I think they're going to get a year. My thing is, yeah. Stan, is the NFL PA then going to appeal whatever that decision is? And the soap opera is not going to end. As you say, it might be 2023, maybe even 2024, before we finally get a resolution with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yeah. We definitely haven't seen the, uh, the end of this. We'll see how it all plays out. All right, Raider Nation, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by Bet Online. Stan and I will be with you throughout the season and hopefully the playoffs as well. For my partner, Stanford Rout, I'm Dennis Ackerman. May all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.